Last week we started the Christmas series that we're not having. <laughs> Jess uh, spoke about joy, a wonderful message, and uh, said that she's not keen on Christmas series but ended up preaching a Christmas message anyway, so I guess you could call it a Clayton's Christmas series. The Christmas series you have when you're not having a Christmas series, well done Jess. So if Jess's theme in her message could be wrapped up with uh, the line of the carol, joy to the world, the Lord has come, then I want to continue, let earth receive her king. And that's my theme this morning, let earth receive her king. And I want to tell a story to uh, just help set the theme a little bit. Jane and I recently were very blessed to be travelling overseas and uh, we went in uh, a number of shops, some would say too many, um, in different uh, towns in Europe and uh, looked for little bits and pieces for our children and grandkids and so forth. And uh, there's one shop that we went to that was actually... um, in a, uh, a building that used to be a, uh, a medieval watchtower. And we went into this shop and uh, we were just looking around and the lady who was the shop owner or shopkeeper um, very enthusiastically told us all about the history of this tower. And it was um, part of a watchtower uh, in the city wall near the gate and um, you know people would be there to, to make sure people coming in and out of the city were the right kind of people and keep the city safe. Um, It had big bells in it that would ring if needed and she actually had those bells in the shop mounted in a very sturdy timber beam not far above our heads. Um, And she was so enthusiastic about this tower and it was very interesting. It really drew us in, um, her uh, passion for the tower. And she actually used the phrase, this is my tower. Now, I don't know whether she was actually the owner of the tower or not, but she felt so strongly about it, it was hers. And what she didn't know about it wouldn't be worth knowing. So we looked around the shop and decided not to buy anything there. Yes. Um, And left. And only 10, 20 metres down the road, Jane thought, no, there was something I'd like to go. So we turned around and went back. And when we went back in, there was a different lady there. I don't know whether the first lady had perhaps gone off for her lunch break. And uh, this lady, uh, shopkeeper, she was very pleasant, um, polite, but disinterested. And um, Jane got the item that she wanted. We went to the counter. Um, the lady wrapped it for us. There was no talk about the tower, and she didn't know that we'd been in there already and heard the story about the tower. But there was no discussion about that. It was just straight to business, and uh, she was wrapping this gift for us. And as she was doing so... <coughs> She couldn't find the sticky tape, and so she's sort of fumbling around with one hand on the paper that she'd been folded, uh, that she'd folded, and looking for the sticky tape. And she actually said, "It's not my shop." I guess an excuse as to why she couldn't find the tape, and so forth. And those two contrasting comments really stood in my mind. The first one, "This is my tower," and the second one, "It's not my shop." And the difference was obvious. One person who was passionate, who drew us in, who uh, couldn't stop but talking about it and just had that enthusiasm, that sense of ownership. And the other who perhaps just turns up for work and does what she has to do in a pleasant way but doesn't do anything more. 
This is my tower. It's not my shop. And I want us to think about that in regards to that phrase, let earth receive her king. Are you the kind of person who would say, in terms of receiving the gift that God gave us at Christmas time, this is my tower, this is my gift, Jesus is mine and I am his? Or are you someone who would be more likely to say, well, it's not my shop, it's not really my thing. I'll go where I have to go, do what I have to do, but really it's up for someone else, it's not my thing. And as a starting point, I want you to consider those two extremes. The sense of ownership, let earth receive her king, the gift that God has given us, or, uh, yeah, I know about it, but it's somebody else's, it's not my thing. So that's our starting point this morning. Where, I guess, would you lie in those two different perspectives? But in reality... We could be somewhere in between. Or we could even waver from one to the other. It could be that in our heart we've said, God, I am yours. You are mine. I want to receive you. I want to receive the king. But there are times when we live in a fallen, sinful, broken world. We don't do anything about that. And I think of times in the Bible, so many Bible characters, the disciples themselves, who passionately loved Jesus and followed him and committed their lives to him. But at times it was, well, it's not my shop. This isn't quite my thing. And so we can vary between those two extremes, can't we? What I really want to focus on is what is the evidence in our life when we are living that this is my tower perspective? What is the evidence that we see? Because, you know, we can say that in our heart, in our head, in our mind, say it within, but unless we give it expression, it can just stay there. And I think inward thoughts do need an outward expression. That inward desire we have to live for Jesus, to commit our lives to him, that this is my tower perspective needs to have expression, needs to have evidence. If that lady had said to us in that shop, well, this is my tower, but didn't do anything about that, didn't um, explain the tower and, and show her passion and enthusiasm, we would have thought, oh, okay, that's really nice. But there was evidence of that in her life. Perhaps it's a little bit like um, the father who came to Jesus with his sick son in, uh, in Mark chapter 9. And Jesus said, do you believe I can heal you? And he said, yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So yes, God, we believe, but there are times we're weak. Help us in those times. But what is the evidence? If we're living that life, we've received the king we really have and we want to live that life. I think the first thing is that we understand the value of the gift that we've been given. We understand the value of that gift. We've been given Jesus. We celebrate that at Christmas time. And we understand what that value is. John chapter 1 verses 10 to 12. He, that's Jesus, was in the world 
And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And I wonder how many people at Christmas time connect the birth of Jesus, the gift that we celebrate, with the agony of the cross. That Jesus came to make the way for us to be right with God. There's great value in that. Great value in that. We don't just celebrate a cute, beautiful, new little baby. Though, of course, that's cause for celebration in itself. But we know the value of who that baby is. The value of the gift that we've been given. When we understand the value of a gift, we take interest in all that surrounds it. You imagine you've been given something that is so precious and so valuable You'd want to ask a lot of questions about that. Where did you get that? Where did it come from? Are there many of them? Are they very common? What more can you do with it? How can I look after it? How can I best use that? That is incredible. You want to know all that surrounds it. So receiving the gift of Jesus isn't the end of the journey. It's not that, yes, I have that gift now. Great, I'll put that away on the shelf. It's the beginning of the journey. And that journey has to be continuing to find out who he is and understand the value. If the Christmas experience for you is routine, perhaps a little busy, too busy, or lost at zip, or if Christmas is more of a problem to you than a joy, I think a starting point is to take time and explore the value of the gift. There's an old hymn that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Wouldn't it be great if Christmas shopping and all the hassle around Christmas just grows dim as we focus on Jesus and understand the value of who he is? Second evidence, I think, if we're living that this is my tower experience is that the gift we receive from God is central to our everyday life. Have you ever received something that wasn't exactly what you wanted or hoped for or expected or needed or even liked? You put it away thinking maybe I'll re-gift it in 12 months' time or it was forgotten about or even discarded Any nods? It happens. It happens. But you would never want the giver to know that, would you? You would never tell them that. You'd probably say nothing more about the gift to the giver and hope that when you saw them in the future, they wouldn't ask about it. Or if they did, you'd change topics very quickly. Perhaps you'd even try and avoid them. But if you love the gift, if you own it, if you look after it, talk about it, it becomes a part of your life. And if we really receive our king, then Jesus has to be central to our daily lives. If we're really saying, I own this tower, I have received the gift that God has given me, then that's got to be central to our daily lives. In the book of Philemon, Paul writes to this person called Philemon. And he says, 
I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Just want to pause there. Can we leave that verse on the screen? Yep. Because I keep hearing about your faith. Now, to keep hearing is the part of speech we called present continuous. We know about past tense and present tense and future tense. Well, this is present and it's ongoing. Keep hearing. And Paul doesn't write, I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. I've done that. Yes, I heard about that. But I keep hearing about it. There's that evidence that Philemon has had that experience of receiving the king and he's living it every day. The verse goes on. I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. So there's consistency in Philemon's life. His faith in the Lord, his love for others, and Paul is urging him to put that into action even more so that what is central to Philemon will become even more evident and useful to others. Remember, what we have in here needs outward expression. And that above passage, the passage we just read, is about someone who owns the tower, someone who has received the king and allowed Jesus to be central in his daily life. What's the challenge in that passage for you? How do you see your acceptance of God's gift evident in your daily life? Can it be said about you or myself that the love we have for God gives others much joy and comfort? Or is the love we have for God hidden away? And that our kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. What a wonderful thing to be able to say about someone. I think the third evidence, if we own that gift, if that's our tower, the evidence in our life is that we simply share the gift. And if we don't, its value is lost to other people. There's an Old Testament story. The Arameans, the enemies of the Israelites, were besieging the city of Samaria, which is the, uh, the capital city of northern Israel many years ago. And during that siege, they uh, stopped food, water coming and going. So the city was locked, surrounded by the enemies. And um, the Bible describes in one Kings chapter six, uh, sorry, Second Kings chapter six, the terrible extremes that the Israelites were going to to survive. It says that one cup of dove's dung was worth five pieces of silver. Now that's desperation. If you're going to pay a lot of money just to have anything at all to eat. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 6. But in 2 Kings chapter 7, as the siege is continuing, we hear the story of four men with leprosy. And let's follow that passage now. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. Leprosy, of course, meant that you couldn't be with the rest of the people. You were excluded for fear of of contagion. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say, we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, that's outside the city, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the, of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. 
At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents, horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents and ate and drank. Then they took gold, silver gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and tents left just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. Now the king was a little bit suspicious, thought it might have been a, uh, a trick to get them out of the city so the Arameans could attack them, so they sent a couple of soldiers, uh, like the suicide squad, to go and check it all out. And they came back and found it true, as reported. And then the whole city rushed out through the gates um, to, the, uh, to the camp and found food and drink and, and treasure and so forth. And the siege was over. But what these four lepers received was not for themselves. The first few tents they went into, they took things, they ate, drank, they hid some treasure. And then they realised, hang on, this is not okay. This is not okay. This is not just for ourselves. Someone's going to find out about it and we're going to be in trouble. We need to go and share this news. And just consider that the poorest of the poor, the outcasts, the lepers, those who in a desperate way, they had more options on how to die than how they could possibly live. They were used by God to save an entire city. How did it happen? Simply because they were sharing what they had been given and not keeping it to themselves. I can imagine that the lady who owns the tower would tell as many people as possible about that tower, while the other lady might mutter that her day at work was okay. That could be the difference about it. If you've received the king, if you've received Jesus then you're called to share the blessings that come with that with other people. It doesn't matter whether you think you're the poorest of the poor, the leper, the outcast, the person who really hasn't got anything to share. God can use you to save others. But by hiding what you have, you could be allowing others to miss out on the right to become a child of God. And that's even worse than starving to death. If you were in church in the 1970s, you'd know the verse, the little chorus, freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. It actually comes from Matthew 8, verse 10. But there's truth in that. We've freely received from God. He paid the price. It's a free gift. And if we're not sharing that with others, then they're missing out on the incredible blessing. And I think the fourth and my last point about evidence that's in our life 
if we're really living as people who have received the king, is that we simply talk to the giver. We talk to the giver. What's been your response when you've received something incredibly valuable or worthwhile as a gift? I'll bet you've expressed your gratitude to the giver more than once and even felt that it brought you and the giver a little bit closer together. You know that you're loved and cared for and you want to talk with that person, spend time with them. Perhaps you couldn't ever repay that gift, but you certainly not want to ever ignore the giver. It's the same with God. How often do you take time to thank him for his valuable gift that he gave us that we celebrate at Christmas, to really talk with him? In Genesis 1, the Bible says, God spoke and the world became in existence. We were spoken into existence. It's probably the greatest conversation God ever had. And we can be part of that conversation. Why would we not? I want to read to you a part of my my personal journal. When Jane and I were travelling, we had time on a river cruise. And um, there's a rotation system where you get to have uh, dinner with the captain at the captain's table. And it was our, um, our turn this particular night. This is from my journal. Tonight, Jane and I were sitting at the captain's table. We were sitting on the opposite side of the table to the captain and one seat from being directly opposite. Next to the captain was a lady who didn't have the art of conversation, talking at others rather than to others. We heard all about her two sons, their names, their careers, how much they earn, the dog who is walked twice a day, not once, but twice a day, and barks at the postman, her husband's health problems and how this meant he couldn't play music at pubs and weddings anymore after so many years of spending his weekends doing this, etc., etc., etc. She wouldn't know the first thing about Jane or myself. While this was tiring... It's okay for one evening, and it's what she needed to do. And while I'll do all I can to smile and be polite over the coming days, I will avoid at all costs sitting near her for another meal. (laughs) My personal journey. And I did avoid too, I'll tell you. But what really bothered me was that she was sitting next to the captain, And while focused on us, effectively had her back turned towards the captain and shut him out of the conversation. A few times I tried to include the captain in the conversation by directing a question across the lady to the captain. But it was a lost cause. I guess the captain has seen it all. But I know that the evening would have been more interesting and richer if the captain was part of the conversation. I can look at her faults. It's always easy to see them in others. But what about me? Is that my life with God? Too focused on what's happening in my life to pay him any close attention and to shut him out by turning my back? I tried to visualise actually turning my back on God in reality. It feels very uncomfortable, even wrong. But is this what I do? The captain was a quietly spoken man and didn't seem to be the type to butt into the conversation perhaps also like God. My prayer, may I never be too caught up in my own world 
to turn my back on God and miss the joy of receiving all that a personal conversation with him will bring. How often do you talk to the giver? And when you do, are you talking at him? Are you talking with him? Are you listening? Really hearing what he has to say? Because your life will be richer for doing so. This is the last of our regular church services for the year, as just so capably outlined in the announcements earlier. Next week, of course, we have the carols and there's no service. Nothing on the 24th, Christmas Day, nothing on the 31st. Prayer is on, of course, always. Don't ever stop praying. But over the year, the overarching theme has been Jesus every day. And throughout the year, those of us who have been speaking at church hope that we've encouraged you in some way to have Jesus as part of your everyday life. There's no other option, really. And to quote the disciple Peter, who else would we turn to for you have the words of life? So there's no printed weekly challenge card this week. But here is the challenge. Take time and reflect on the theme, Jesus, every day. You've heard it many times over the year. And ask yourself just one question. How is this different in your life now compared to 12 months ago? The question is not, how can I put Jesus in my daily life? We're not putting him anywhere. We're not bringing him into our life. We are stepping into his. The question should be, Jesus, what next? Wake up in the morning, Jesus, what next? Jesus, what now? What now? And if you can't find that there's a difference in the, next, in the last 12 months, then think, what do I do about this in 2018? How in 12 months' time can I say, yes, my life each day is with Jesus? Think through that, but our inward thoughts... And motives and intentions need outward expression. Write it down and share it with someone. So over the next 12 months, the next six months, this coming week, whenever it might be, this is my intention in terms of having Jesus with me every day. Lord, we do believe. We do believe. But help us in our unbelief. I'll get the band to come up just as I finish. So I hope that you're encouraged to really receive the King. To be the person who can say of your relationship with Jesus, this is my tower. This is my stronghold. This is where I am. Rather than someone who would say, well, it's not my shop. It's not my thing. And I pray that you will find that the evidence of that is expressed in your daily life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for 2017, for the joys, the challenges, the growth, the struggles, 
all that has been part of this year. And Father, as we wrap up our thinking about Jesus every day, I pray that that won't stop, but we'll continue each and every day to say, Jesus, what now? Jesus, lead me. Where to? What do I say? Who do I meet with? Father, I pray that we can be people who are enthusiastic like that lady in the shop who just want to talk about you and share our passion and our love and our joy and that will be evident in our lives. And Father, when we waver and we start to think it's not my shop, catch us and pull us back into your love again. Father, we pray for the carols next Sunday that people will understand what it means. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive their King. Father, we pray that they will know the value of the gift that you've given us. And they too will want to receive that gift and all that surrounds it. Father, we thank you for who you are, for your love for us, and may that be infectious across our community. Amen. There's no better way to finish than with the carol. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King.